You're listening to Centertainment Talk Radio on the web at www.centertainment.org. The music you are hearing is from the new CD, Piano Stories, which features almost a full hour of piano pieces for meditation, massage, relaxation, reflection, and even study. You can find out more on the homepage at centertainment.org or by going to joedavidson.com. That's joedavidson.com. Ashat Gupta says that meditation is just as important every day as brushing your teeth or having a shower. He says it's the most important thing, no matter where you are in the process of recovery. It is the one thing that will train your nervous system to be calm for longer term. Today, Ashok is joining us to talk about his fabulous Meaning of Life experiment, which features some of my favorite guided meditations, along with videos and short journal exercises. I use these every day, at least twice daily, and I highly recommend them. Whether you are recovering through a medical condition, dealing with stress, or just want to bring a greater sense of calm and connection into your life, these meditations are for you. This is a free app that you can download at TheMeaningOfLife.tv. The live streaming is completely free, which is incredible considering how much work went into creating all of this content. And I also recommend that you purchase the downloads. They're extremely fairly priced, and that way you'll have them forever. Go to TheMeaningOfLife.tv. Ashok, thank you so much for being here. Can you tell us a little bit more about this program? Okay, well, the app is called The Meaning of Life Experiment, and it's available for free now on Google Play um, and also uh, the App Store. So whatever kind of phone you've got, generally you can be able to get the app. And it's a completely free app, so all the videos, all the meditations are free within the app. The premise is that it's called The Meaning of Life Experiment because... In some ways, all of our lives are like an experiment. And this experiment is all about discovering more happiness, meaning, and purpose. So at the beginning of the experiment, you rate yourself on these different criteria, happiness, meaning, and purpose. And then after 30 days of doing the experiment, and they may not be chronological days, uh, you then re-rate yourself on those criteria to see if your levels of happiness have improved, whether you've linked to your life purpose, etc., And every day you get a 10 or 20 minute meditation, a video and some self-reflection questions. So it takes about 30 minutes for 30 days. And generally people are doing the entire experiment over the space of maybe a couple of months, something like that, and re-watching the videos and meditations that they find useful. This whole project is a social enterprise project. It's a not-for-profit project. It's essentially designed to um, uplift people's lives and uplift you know, the way they're experiencing their lives day to day. And so all the content is free to stream. But if people feel like they really want to download the meditations and have their own permanent copy, then by downloading them, they're contributing to uh, the next phase of videos and meditations, which we're going to be launching. It's been really fun. It's taken us over a couple of years to produce all of the content because we really wanted to make sure they were of the highest quality. And with the meditations, We've, you know, I've been a meditation teacher now for about 15 years, and I wanted to make sure that these meditations were for those people who claim they can never meditate, you know, because they have busy minds or they're anxious. And I wanted to create meditations that even the most anxious person can't help but just really learn to relax and relax their minds and their nervous systems. And and that's really exciting uh, with these meditations that 
we've had people who have suffered from lifelong anxiety who've said, finally, I understand what it means to be relaxed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, they're very, very helpful. And before I forget, I did get an email from someone. I didn't tell a lot of people that I was interviewing you. So it wasn't one of these interviews where I had a lot of questions coming in. I only told a few people. And and one person, she said, please tell Ashok that these meditations are fabulous. And my hubby, who has never meditated in his life, loves them. I think they're fantastic. And we've been doing them daily during Lent. And I hope by the end of Lent, we'll be so used to the pattern of doing it that will carry on. There's a lot of great feedback um, on the internet and, and different forums and groups coming out on this Meaning of Life app, and we really appreciate it. I wondered if you could talk a little bit about the latest research um, that, that's out there on meditation and its effects on the body and the mind. Yes, of course. I mean, there's now... Um, I would say over a thousand research studies on mindfulness and meditation. I mean, it's just exploding at the moment. And obviously we've always known that these techniques are, are very powerful, but it's great that, that science is kind of catching up with this research now. And really we can split it up into kind of mind, body and intellect, which is how we split up uh, our existence within the film. So in terms of the body, we know that meditation helps relax the nervous system it helps the glandular system, helps boost the immune system. So this is all clinically proven. So physically, it refines our physical bodies, allows the detoxification to occur, has so many benefits for the physical body. And we know also that it helps with heart disease and other stress-related conditions. In terms of the mind, it helps relax the mind. It makes us feel happier, generally. Um, it uh, helps with our relationships and our interactions with other people because our minds are calmer and we're less reactive to the world around us. And in terms of the intellect, it helps us with focus and concentration. I think that's one of the best uh, benefits if you're, you're working and you're adding a laptop or a computer during the day. Meditation just enables you to have that almost a buffer against this general stress that we experience, you know, working day to day. So there's so many mental, physical and emotional benefits. And those are the ones that we hear of the most. But of course, for those people who are interested at a spiritual level, mm -hmm. it enables you to connect with a deeper part of yourselves, a more profound part of ourselves. Right, I agree. Uh, and, and people report feeling more loving and compassionate to people around them. People report just feeling naturally kind of happy for no reason. <laughs> people feel a sense of connection to those around them and the world around them that they never experienced before. And those benefits come for some people straight away, but for most people down the line, once they've committed to daily meditation, those, those kind of more deeper spiritual benefits um, are things that we, we gain with commitment. It's interesting you're talking about commitment because a lot of times it's the last thing someone feels like doing. It gets put to the bottom of the list and we all have a million distractions or ways we procrastinate, um, you know, things in our lives. And so for somebody listening to this interview today, someone who says, you know, I really don't feel like doing it. I know it's good for me, but I can't seem to get myself to do it. And my thoughts are always too jumpy. Um, or maybe someone says, I'm afraid of facing something inside of me that might come up. Do you have any advice? Yeah, so there's a couple of things there. Firstly, people who meditate honestly say it's even more important than having a shower every day. I mean, that's how uh, amazing they feel during the day with regular meditation. And so that's the way we want to 
think about it, that we wash our outer bodies every day. We have a shower, a bath or whatever. But our minds get dirty each day from the constant worrying and thinking and obsessing. And so having that shower for the mind every day is incredibly important. And yes, it's one of the things that gets put to the back. You know, let me do the washing. Let me answer those emails and then I'll have time to meditate. But we've got to reverse that and say, actually, when we meditate just for 20 minutes a day, we can even start with 10 minutes if 20 minutes feels like too long. That 20 minutes of meditation that we do will pay itself back in efficiency savings. So we'll be more efficient during the day. We'll be making better decisions. We'll be able to come up with more creative ideas in our, in our work or our professions. And so that 20 minutes is an investment in just being better at everything. <laughs> it's yes. the only way I can describe it. So it's always worth that, in, that investment. And it's a very, very small amount of time. In fact, it's just a few percent of your time, your waking day. And yet the rewards are incredible. So I would encourage everyone to really take that commitment. That's why we say 30 days, because we think 30 days is manageable. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the 30 days, see how you feel. And most people want to continue uh, with regular meditation. Now, your second point about there are things they don't want to face. Mm -hmm. You know, the things that we don't want to face in life, such as our deepest fears or things which are simmering below the surface, the truth is that they keep affecting our lives during the day anyway. Right. That's the thing. If they didn't affect our lives, yes, then why would we dig up the dirt from our past or things that, are, you know, when we close our eyes, we suddenly start becoming aware of these deeper traumas or fears within us. Those deeper fears are affecting us day to day in any case. And so with meditation, um, yes, the, a, very, a minority of people may notice certain things coming up. But it is like a cleansing process. So imagine our, our minds are like a pressure cooker. You've got all these worries and thoughts and negativities from the past that are all stored in this pressure cooker. And meditation is like releasing that valve at the top of the, the pressure cooker. And so for a period of time, there's a lot of steam and certain negative thoughts which keep repeating themselves that we don't want to face, which come out of the top of the pressure cooker. But what happens once you release all this, the steam? Then everything calms down and then you can remove the top of the, you know, the lid of the pressure cooker. Yeah. And then you live a better life and you're more integrated. Um, you, you, your interactions are better with people. You're less reactive. You're less stressed out. Um, we, we spend a lot of energy trying to bury things. And once they're released, then we're not using that energy to bury anything anymore. Exactly. And I would say that for people who feel they have um, deeper trauma, deeper healing work, it's always good to have a combination of, meditation and then you know therapy, a coaching or yeah, therapy whatever. or whatever, mm -hmm. to support that process and one without the other um it's not the full it's not the full story so it's always useful to have both if yeah. you're doing some deeper healing work well we hear a lot about breathing techniques um you know people say you count to this number on the inhale hold it this amount of time exhale what are some of your favorite types of breathing techniques okay so the reason, I mean, breathing is important is because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> out of anything that we do during the day, eating, drinking water, sleeping, breathing, we can only last a couple of minutes without breathing. So it is the most important life force or life giver that we have. And actually, every time we experience an emotion, our pattern of breathing changes. But nature has given us a feedback loop that when we change the pattern of our breathing, it then changes our mental and emotional state. 
Now, for me, my favorite breathing process um, is actually one that I've learned on a course called the Art of Living course, um, which is mentioned within the film. But for those people who haven't done that particular course, um, there's a breathing technique which is very powerful called alternate nostril breathing. And alternate nostril breathing basically balances the left and right hemispheres of the brain and brings the calm back into the body very, very quickly. So in terms, if people are time poor and they want something that, a quick bang for their buck, as it were, uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> then a few minutes of alternate nostril breathing is very powerful. And I teach that within video number eight of the Meaning of Life experiment. Uh-huh. So all the instructions and how to do that particular breathing technique are there. And I find that very, very powerful. Alternatively, what we can do is put one hand on our stomach and one hand on our chest if we're feeling particularly stressed. And we can, in fact, if people want to do this on the... on the, uh, Let's do it on the car right, right now. now. Let's, let's do this right now. So if we put one hand on our upper chest mm-hmm. and one hand on our belly, and if we close our eyes, and we're not trying to change our breathing right now, let's just observe which hands are moving as we breathe in and breathe out. Now, generally, if we're feeling stressed or busy or anxious, our top hand, so the upper chest, will move more than the lower hand. And sometimes we'll breathe in, and as we breathe in, the upper chest will will expand. Whereas when we're relaxing and we're breathing in a relaxed way and our minds are more relaxed, then our lower hand, so our belly, will actually move out as we breathe in. So it's very good to practice this for a few minutes before meditation. It's just to close our eyes and just as we breathe in, allow the stomach, the the belly, to push out. And we can use our diaphragm to push it out as well. So let's breathe in. And as we breathe in, expand our stomach. And as we breathe out, allow our belly and our stomach to go back in. And we can just repeat that for a few breaths now. You can keep going with that breathing. And you may notice that as you continue, Your breath is more controlled. You're controlling the in-breath and the out-breath more smoothly, rather than gasping for air. And you can practice this technique to really allow your breathing to become slower and deeper very gradually. And you'll feel more relaxed within a few minutes. Ah, that sounds good, doesn't it? Yeah. And so that's just another technique of when you put your hand on your stomach and your chest, it forces your mind to become more conscious of your breathing. And when you're pushing your belly out, it gives your mind something to do. (laughs) (laughs) And it then allows more controlled breathing. What in some areas is called pranic breathing or chi breathing or so many different words that we have in in um, society for describing this kind of deep, more controlled breathing, 
which relaxes the mind. There's an image, I'm sure I got it from you that you mentioned it somewhere and now I can't remember, but I loved this image and I'm a very visual person and I can kind of grab onto a picture and put myself in it and it's, it's very simple, but if you wanted to sit in, in silence and meditate doing this type of breathing, just a picture a bucket, maybe a clear, beautiful bucket with, mm-hmm. with beautiful water in it and that the water in it is still. It's completely still. And that sensation as I talk slower, you know, and I think about this still, calm water. And then doing that breathing, those two together, I mean, even just one minute of that can create a tremendous change. Yeah, that's very powerful. Um, People have different things that they focus on. And certainly, as you say, something that reminds people of stillness, the still ocean, uh, a still pond, a still bucket of water, anything that creates that sense of focus on stillness can be very useful. Uh, Some people find imagining the thoughts in their mind are like clouds Mm -hmm. and they are the entire expanse of sky within which the thoughts just keep coming and going. So we're much bigger than our small little thoughts and emotions and agitations. Yeah. The entire expanse, the space yeah. in which thoughts come and go. I do all of those things. And I also do um, pray, which is different than meditation for me. But that's another topic for another call. You know, we want to make meditation a habit. And when you're first starting to form habits, it takes a lot of willpower and it can be quite a struggle. You feel this war going on inside. And, um, I wanted to share some information I I saw on this video by Robin Sharma. It was about habits. And he said that all change is hard at first, messy in the middle and gorgeous at the end. (laughs) I loved that. And he said, if it wasn't hard, it wouldn't be change because you're overcoming the gravitational pull of your old habits. I thought I loved that sentence, the gravitational pull of your old habits. And he said you're disrupting your old beliefs, you're disrupting neural pathways in your brain, your emotional architecture, and it's going to be messy. And one of the things he said that I hadn't heard before, um, he said it takes 66 days to wire in a new habit until it becomes automatic, meaning that you don't have to use willpower anymore to do it. Yeah, and there are various number of days that are banded around 21 days 30 days (laughs) days. and actually the the, the truth is that um you know these various studies are looking at one aspect of behavior change and it all depends on how committed we are whether we see the benefits quickly or down the line what what else is going on in our lives but certainly you know one or two months of regular practice will then get us into the groove so yeah i agree so you know between anything between one to two months of practice where once we see those results and those positive aspects to it, we won't go without it. And the classic analogy is brushing our teeth or having a shower. Right. Um, we don't question brushing our teeth, or at least at least I hope people don't question <laughs> brushing our teeth. We don't want to um, hang out with you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, why do we do it? We know because our dentist has told us that it will be good for our teeth and we don't have bad breath. But in the same way, do we want to have, let's say, I mean, it sounds a bit harsh, but, the, the, you know, the negativity, the stink of our negativity in our <laughs> lives and the people around us. You know? um, and do we want to have a mind which is agitated from the word go? Or would we like to spend that 10 minutes, that 20 minutes, calming our minds even before the day has started so that we are in a happier, better place? And most people who, who do it 
they swear by it and they generally continue, um, you know, with with the practice. And, you know, one of the things is, is about making it practical. So I understand that sometimes in the mornings, uh, busy parents may not have the time to meditate. So with the app, when you've got the app with you at any point in time, you know, let's say you're on a train getting going to a meeting, stick the meditation on. You know, you're um, you're coming back from work and before you, you kind of get back into the evening, you take a bit of time for yourself to meditate. So it's feeling like you've got this friend in your pocket that's always there that can help you bring yourself back to balance right. and give you all those mental, physical, emotional benefits that you deserve. And for those of us in big cities, there's plenty of time to do this. I mean, you're sitting on a subway, stick this thing on, listen to it, and you'll you'll feel completely different. It'll be really calming and it helps it helps you handle a lot of the chaos that's going on around. And I also wanted to tell people that, you know, there are options. I mean, the 10 and 20 minute ones are great. I recommend doing those daily, but there are also some special bonuses and things that are just three to seven minutes. Um, and, you know, everybody can do that. Yeah. And th- those are my favorites actually, because um, it, people have reported that, so for instance, there's a four minute anger diffuser and you think, you know, could you really diffuse your anger in four minutes if you're really <laughs> angry at someone? But they're like, yeah, it's, it's, it's like, wow, we put that on for four minutes. I'm really angry at someone. And yeah, by the end, they just feel a lot more accepting and, and at peace. And those little exercises to help us with emotions such as stress, anger, guilt, sadness, those short, sharp exercises are just when we're in a bit of a fix and we haven't got the time to do a full 20-minute meditation and we just like to listen to something specific. Um, right. there's, all, there's tools for everyone in there. And I wanted to also emphasize that no matter what your religion or faith or lack of, whatever your spiritual beliefs, these meditations are actually for everybody. Um, they're not specific and I don't find them to contradict anything. They're just um, very calming, peaceful sort of guided meditations. Yes, and I think that's really important because I think some people have believed that meditation is somehow purely an Eastern concept that involves mysticism or religion, whereas actually um, people have been meditating for centuries from all different backgrounds, from all different religions. Mm-hmm. And so every meditation that certainly that I've produced are you know applicable to anyone. And we say to people, Whatever is your figure or your representation of something larger, if you have a religious belief or a spiritual belief, whatever is the figure that represents love, which is our universal human value, you can use that within your meditation so that your meditation then becomes linked to your own deeper spirituality, your own religion, whatever that may be. And so you can use it in that way. And we've had people who are Christians, Muslims, atheists, who've all said that they are able to really connect with the meditation. Because ultimately, this film and this these meditations are focusing on what we all share as human beings right. instead of on what divides us. And you might say, well, well, what do we share? I talk about this concept of blue within the, within the film. You know, we all share that sense of wanting more happiness, to be more contented, to be more blissful in life. That's something that we all share. Love is a value we all share. Mm. Connection to others is a value we all share. So these are things which are core human values, things that we value, that we want to engender within ourselves and also share with others. And when we focus on that, that's when we connect to our core, regardless of which faith background or cultural background we come from. I've also been um, using the meditations to help me handle 
my reactions to what's going on politically right now in the United States. Okay. So there's, there's a lot that people are getting really upset about. Um, A lot of stuff is happening here right now. And, and we're seeing, I mean, frankly, we're seeing levels of racism, sexism, religious intolerance. And it's been really hard. And the thing about the media is that it thrives on fear-based thinking and sensational stories. And it's very skewed and it, it very much enlarges the negative and shrinks down the good. And it makes people lose perspective. It tends to bring out the worst and some of the worst people. Um, you know, there's something that Bernie Sanders, and I want to say that also – you know, whatever you think of Bernie Sanders. I just wanted to share this quote because I love this. Um, But he said, every great religion essentially comes down to do unto others as you would like them to do unto you. Human nature is about how everybody in this room impacts everybody else in all kinds of ways we can't even understand. It's a spiritual, emotional thing. And when we treat people with respect and dignity, we are more human. And I love those words. And, and again, you know, I'm not saying you have to believe in his politics. I'm just sharing that statement. And because I think those are the kind of thoughts that come from leaders and that bring out the best in people. And, you know, Ashok, it kind of reminded me a lot of your unity meditation, which is extremely powerful. And I think if everybody did that meditation every day, it would change the world. <laughs> that would be a lovely thought. Wouldn't it? I mean, it's a beautiful meditation. And uh, a lot of people need that right now. Yes. And, you you know, Joe, you've really summarized it well in terms of, I think, the debate currently going on in the US. And and, and just as a a Brit, I'd like to, you know, offer our observations, which is, you know, we are shocked at what's happening in Europe, um, in Europe, when we observe what's going on um, in the US, because for us, the US is based on the idea of unity, that whatever your background, there is this American dream, there is this country where you can go to where you can be a feel a part of that country regardless of your background, the United States of America. And for us to see um, politicians looking to create prejudice, to create separation, as you say, you've hit the nail on the head. It's about fear-based thinking, Mm -hmm. fear-based stimulation, and also shock factor. Mm -hmm. You know, we are so overwhelmed with with media and so many different things that we can consume as uh, users of media that to get your head above the parapet, you have to be even more shocking and say even more shocking things. If you want to get into the newspapers, you've got to say something that stimulates people's fears. If you want to um, actually sell a newspaper or get someone to watch a bit of TV, you then have to shock people. And so what's happening is that across all media, and this is only in entertainment as well as, as, well as politics, Every media outlet is having to raise their game and shock people more and shock people more. And that's ultimately what we're seeing with um, what's going on in the politics of the U.S., that ultimately, if if it's shocking enough, it gets more publicity. And if it gets more publicity, then we're talking about it and then more people are going to vote for that person. And it's building, it it becomes a a self-feeding mechanism. And yet there are so many, so many millions of people who do not agree with what's happening. And I think that's really important to tap into and to know that a lot of people do not agree with this at all. And mm-hmm. I think that the media makes it seem like it's a bigger tidal wave than it is, although it can be scary. And um, it's scary to know that it exists at all, you know. And I was thinking about this a lot because it was hitting me so personally. I was taking it personally. And 
I was angry, but I was trying to remain peaceful at the same time and think, how can I be in my little corner of the world? How can I create any change in this at all? Mm-hmm. And um, I think what I realized is is that the strongest the strongest leaders in history, the people who are role models um, to me that I look up to have always um, created change through peace. Mm-hmm. And so I had to look at myself and and realized it was a part of me that actually thought I couldn't create the change unless I was really, really angry. So I had to kind of diffuse that anger and say, no, I can actually, you know, be a change for peace and awareness and information and, and, um, and I don't have to do it being angry. Not that I was outwardly angry, but inside I was, you know? Yeah. You know, Joe, I think what you're described there, you mentioned something about this kind of personal journey, seeing what's going on around you. And one of the mottos that we, use in in the meaning of life experiment or a kind of catch line is you know be the change share the change lead the change yeah and what it's really saying is that the changes on the outside um basically are a reflection of the changes on the inside so when we see these difficulties that are happening in the u.s right now we can think oh it's so terrible how can this be happening but actually it's an opportunity for us to look inwards at what aspect of ourselves is actually reflected in what's going on in society around us. Uh-huh. Yep. And within us all, there are maybe little subtle prejudices that we have. And so it's a first, the first part of call is for us to examine our own thoughts and our own beliefs and our own uh, ways of thinking, that sh- which might have any parallels to what we see outside of ourselves. Uh-huh. And once we reflect on that, the, the next step is really a deep acceptance of what, is, of what we see around us. Because we cannot change that which we cannot accept. Right. And I think it's that sense of, okay, there is all this stuff going on around me, but I am the center of the storm. I am the eye of the storm, even though this is, these things are happening around me. And that, that might be in the politics that we see around us. That might be in our families. You know, right. we may see a lot of disruption in our families or difficulties that we're all facing. You know, and one... so being the eye of the storm... Mm-hmm. Is, is very important. And from that place of strength, once we've got to a place of deep acceptance for what we see around us, from that place of strength, we then are a much better force for change, both at the, both at the energetic level, so we give off positive vibration to those around us, but also being a force for change within society. So when we see what is going on and we see it all being amplified and sensationalized by the media, we just need to take a step back and say, this is just a storm which will pass. Mm-hmm. And actually, I can be the eye of that storm. And I can, from that place of centered calm, I can even affect the storm and, um, and calm everything down around me. You made me think of something when you were talking about how the media, um, you need a bigger and bigger shock. And that sounds very much like addiction, doesn't it? That's what addiction mm-hmm. is because you become numb to a certain level and then it takes more to stimulate and then more and then more and then more. And that's what has happened in our media and in the politics that we're seeing. It's it's an addiction. Yeah, and this is, this is really interesting. What we are essentially doing in our society is creating um, addictions which give us that next high. So food, for instance, the, the amount of sugar that has been put in food has been gradually increasing over the last few decades. Right, that's true. Um, the amount of violence that we see on TV is gradually right. increased. So right. what we see now on TV, if someone saw that 40 years ago, people would leave the cinema right. because it would just be too crazy for yeah. them. So when we notice all of these things around us, 
The reason that meditation and self-awareness are so important is because we can get lost in those addictions and think that that is the goal of life, that I want more, more, more of this stimulation, this entertainment, etc. The problem is that our senses have a limited ability to give us pleasure. So if we eat an ice cream, we get a certain amount of pleasure, but if we eat two ice creams, we don't get twice as much pleasure. In, probably, in fact, we probably feel quite sick. <laughs> and in the same way, the more that we watch TV, the more that we see violence, the more that we see the terrible things going on in the world, it may stimulate a, a part of us that was uh, felt a bit unstimulated or dead within us. But unfortunately, it then creates that addiction for more and more and more and exhausts our nervous system. And when we regularly meditate, actually what happens is we start getting pleasure for the subtler joys of life mm -hmm. rather than needing that stimulation. And we'll find that actually, even if our food is a bit more bland than normal, we enjoy it even more. Yeah. Or if we're eating an ice cream, we're really in the moment, fully tasting the ice cream. So when we meditate, we calm our minds, we actually become better able to enjoy the fruits around us mm -hmm. and we start enjoying things at a deeper more profound level rather than relying on that addiction of bigger better more right and it's like the meditation is where the real nutrients come in and as we know as much as we might love sugar you can't you can't run on it not forever anyway you can temporarily and uh that, that's what i love about the meditation it really centers you and grounds you and it helps me so much every day you know you're yeah. talking about um i think one of the things that comes to mind is is a solution um you know how how what's going on out there mirrors what's going on in here mm -hmm. uh, maybe for each of us to kind of you know look in ourselves and i think one of the things we can all do is have more diversity in our own lives be around um you know people different colors races religions gender etc 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 and and get to know each other because as much as we talk about unity you know there's still a lot of segregation um woven into our daily lives right and i think that's just one way that we can understand that we really are one and an important part of that is then looking at how we can be of service. Mm -hmm. yeah? So in the film, we talk about the, the three S's. Uh, we talk about spiritual practices such as meditation and breathing. We talk about self-knowledge. So that's the, the self-awareness and going inwards to become more aware of our thoughts and emotions and move through them. Mm -hmm. And thirdly, service. That actually, when we're of service to communities and people around us, there is a part of us that expands. You know, we are like a shriveled um, little rosebud that actually um, has potential. But it is only when that flower actually blossoms and gives fragrance and a, a beauty to the people around them that that flower then lives its life purpose. Mm -hmm. And in the same way, when we feel isolated or alone or not part of these communities, we are like that flower that isn't living our potential. We're shriveled. Mm -hmm. But when we engage in service in our families and our communities, we then blossom. We become that fragrance and that beauty that then actually is useful to the world around us, useful to the people around us. And not only that, when we live that life purpose, we become happier inside. And there's so many authors who have talked about that idea. Right. That our deepest happiness, our most profound bliss and joy comes when we're helping others. 
I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the experiment. You mentioned this in one of your videos where there were two people. Um, I think they meditated together first, and then they were put in separate rooms, and their brains were scanned. Could you share a little bit about that experiment? Yeah, there's a lot of experiments uh, which are on the fringes of mainstream science, which are showing that um, there are links between people's brains activity. So these are experiments done where they took two people, got them to meditate together, and then placed them in two isolated rooms. And then to one of the meditators, they would show various pictures and they would incorporate some very stimulating pictures, you mm-hmm. know, pictures of death or pictures of ice cream or whatever. Right. And, and those, uh, and they would measure brain patterns and they noticed similarities between the brain patterns of those people who are in one box and then the people in the second box. So this isn't any kind of telepathy. What this is, is this is showing that actually there are, there is a connection between people. There is a connection between people and our environments. Yeah. And that actually, even in quantum physics, there is plenty of evidence that we are not separate from things around us or people around us. There is a connection through the observer effect. Um, and so these have been on the fringes of science, but more and more, hopefully when people you know, wake up to this idea of connection, there'll be more money put into this research to show that there is statistically significant data um, showing this connection between all of us. So somebody had written, and I told her I was interviewing you, and she wanted to know how could people always be synchronized? Like, you know, she said, I don't feel like I could be synchronized with uh, someone like Hitler. Okay, so were these people synchronized more because they come from the same backgrounds, because they meditated together, because they already share common beliefs? Does that make a difference? It does. And this is about closeness. So two people who have meditated together naturally feel a sense of closeness or, or one, you know, feeling at one with them. And the example I would give is if we look in our own families, in fact, if you ask most people, and especially women who are, who are more connected than, I, than, than, than most men, or well, that's a generalization. You know, people will say, actually, there have been times where I just intuitively knew someone who was in trouble, maybe right. my own child or my mother or my sister. Mm-hmm. Or I just knew that someone was calling me, and I just had this gut instinct, I just knew. And so everyone has a story to share about that, that they had a connection with someone that goes beyond, beyond rational explanations. And in the same way, in our families, we, will, we, we know there's a connection there. We know that we can sense things uh, if we s- tune into those subtle vibrations because ultimately we're all connected. And you might say, well, how are we connected? We're connected because we are – I mean, this is now going into advanced superstring theory and whatever. Uh-huh. But we are all essentially vibrations of strings. So – you may have heard of superstring theory. I mean, you know, one of my favorite comedies is uh, the Big Bang Theory, which always talks about superstring theory. And the core of superstring theory is that actually the entire universe and everything in it is made up of tiny strings. And those tiny strings are not even made up of any matter. They're just vibrations. And so the entire universe is one membrane floating in a different dimension of space. And everything within it is just matter made up of different vibrations. And so we... We, we can sometimes walk into a room and say, I got a certain vibe off someone. Right. Uh, we can walk into a room and sense either a positive energy or a, or a negative energy. Right. And when we're tuned into that, we can recognize that there is a deeper connection amongst all of us because we are all made up of these vibrations. 
Do you really think that some people think matter comes first? Some people think consciousness comes first. Does anybody know? Well, this is the hot topic in, uh, I suppose, in science and psychology at the moment, is what is the source of consciousness? What is the nature of consciousness? Can consciousness simply come from a collection of neurons firing together? Now, as we know, people who are scientists and physicists, there's a certain bias which is incorporated into the way that they think. Mm -hmm. They tend to think more, quote-unquote, scientifically, so based on what we call scientific materialism, Mm -hmm. that there are atoms and atoms clump together and they form molecules and molecules clump together to feel to create neurons and then neurons fire and they create consciousness Mm -hmm. but there are some scientists who are questioning that entire process including for instance sir roger penrose who used to work very closely with um professor stephen hawking uh, in cambridge and he's now a big advocate of this idea that actually consciousness in and of itself is a separate uh, think we don't know how we would describe the thing, but consciousness itself then creates the matter. That's what I and believe. The- I believe consciousness is God, though. And I mean, I actually saw something where he had said that he had worked with, you know, on this book, right? The Grand Design, and he he said the book is misleading. He said the universe has not been shown to just create itself from nothing. Exactly. When in life has anything ever come from nothing? It can't. And yet, the ultimate question. We are saying something came from from nothing. And this idea about consciousness and what it is, you know, the classic example I give is that um, when we're in a dream, it can feel very real and we have objects and people and places and we go through this whole journey in a dream. And yet the building blocks of everything in that dream is our own vibrations in our own consciousness. Mm. And so when we wake up out of the dream, how do we know that what we're experiencing right now is not yet another layer of consciousness within which we are experiencing what we think is a material universe? Mm-hmm. And that's something to ponder. <laughs> there's no, there's <laughs> it, right or wrong answer there, but it's something to ponder. I don't have the notes in front of me, but it was a study. It was a gathering of uh, renowned mathematicians, physicists, you know, the people who really study this and know it, and even they couldn't agree. So I thought, no wonder the rest of us are confused. Yeah. But um, I think what's interesting about this is that <laughs> if science simply justified scientific materialism, that basically everything is made up out of atoms and they clump together, and if that was the ultimate theory of science then we think okay that that makes sense but actually quantum physics comes along and completely changes the way that we look at the entire universe that there is unpredictability in the universe and finally that idea of the observer effect that when a observer in this case a human observer observes something it changes the nature of that which they observe yeah and and a great a way of looking at this is let's say if you're playing a computer game. Uh In that computer game, on that piece of software, is encoded all the different environments that you're going to be engaging in, whether that be a house or a car or a factory. It's all built into the software of the system, but it doesn't exist physically. Once you start playing the computer game, then what was just simply a bunch of zeros and ones, a software program, then becomes reality in your consciousness. And you start walking through the house and walking through the, uh, the factory and walk, driving the car. 
but it was never existent before your consciousness brought it into existence in the game. And in the same way, quantum physicists are finding that there is a connection between us as conscious observers and the matter and the universe around us. And that, to me, is an amazing idea that should, you know, I suppose, help us let go of all of our assumptions about what is real and what is real matter around us. Well, if something only exists, if we're there to observe it, or it exists as a probability or whatever, I mean, it gets very, I don't know if I totally buy into that, but then somebody asked me, well, what if everybody was blind? Would anybody, would anything exist? Because nobody could see it. Yeah. So with the observer effect, it is about an awareness of something existing. So it would be an input within our five senses that then would tell us whether something exists, you know, in our immediate consciousness. Well, God must be observing or there must be a higher consciousness observing all of us for us to exist. Right. And so then we get to some of the deeper questions here. And within the the film, one hypothesis, and we, we call it a hypothesis, that we put forward is this idea that there is only one consciousness, which is doing all of the observing. And we are part of that one consciousness. However, we, that consciousness then starts identifying with our mind and our thoughts and our, our separate identity. And one way of looking at this is then our journey is going back to re-identifying with that one consciousness. And people from many different backgrounds and traditions, Christians, Muslims, Hindus, there are people who are the, the monks, let's say, within those particular areas, they often talk about having a deeper, more profound connection mm-hmm. with what they might call God or consciousness or whatever. And to me, that is what it's all about. Whatever tradition we are in, mm-hmm. ultimately, it's that human journey back to love, back to that deeper conscious identity that we all share. Thank you all so much for joining us. We've been really glad to have you. And this has been a fascinating conversation. I highly recommend this app and this experiment, Meaning of Life experiment. And you can find out more at TheMeaningOfLife.tv. Big thank you to Asha Gupta. And you've been listening to Zentertainment Talk Radio here on the web at Zentertainment.org. Have a great week, and I'll catch you next time. Peace.